the snow. We got people out for all kinds of stuff. But we got a whole lot of people here and watching, and the one that really matters, he's here. Amen. So I did bring the whole hay bale. Yeah. The whole hay bale. And I'm going to tell y'all something. I don't want you just to listen. I want you to ruminate on this. I want you to think on it, to think on it some more, to apply it. And it's not going to be a long message. Um, and I know I've said this before, and I'm sure Barrett, Barrett's watching. She's probably going, okay, Nicole, we've heard this before. And Deb is watching, and she's probably going, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not going to be a long message. And here's why. Because it's pretty cut and dry. Because it is pretty simple. But it is something that a lot of Christians have a hard time doing, me included. And that's leaving it all on the field. And here's when God gave me this message. So we just had the, what was it, the NCAA College Football Championship. It was Alabama Roll Tide people versus Clemson kitty cat people. Tigers, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> but Brian and I like football. I'm one of those wives that I like watching football with my husband. I just have fun doing it. And we especially like watching, you know, the championships. It's always fun games because people go out there and they just typically give it their all. You know, they are fighting for what they really want. They've gotten this far. It's like I can see the finish line. I'm going after it. And this game was like that. It was a close game. But we got to the end. And I was rooting for the underdog. I was rooting for Clemson. And I'm sorry if some of my Alabama friends are watching. But I was, I'm an underdog person. I like rooting for the underdog. You know, I just kind of, I just want to pat their heads and say, you can do it. Go get them. You know, so I was, I was rooting for them. And it had been a long time since Clemson had won, like, the championship, whatever it was. Um, and they were doing good. It was, look, I got the stats. They were winning in the first quarter. They were winning in the second quarter. They were winning in the third quarter. And then came the fourth quarter. And it's just like they decided to take a break. But the problem is then the game is done. And you lose 45 to 40. One touchdown. You don't even need the field goal. One touchdown would have changed history. One touchdown would have brought that school to a whole new level. You think about that next day at school had they won. It had been, I think it was back in the 80s since the last time they had won. You think about how different that would have been when they went to, you know, back to school the next day. There would have been orange everywhere, streamers everywhere, balloons everywhere. Clemson would be seen all over. You'd have Clemson fans coming out of the woodworks. We'd probably still be talking about it. But one touchdown kept them from that. And I'm watching it, and I'm, we're winning. We're doing good. They're doing great. What in the world are you doing? And so they got done. I was like, oh so sad they were so close and so I was just laying in bed thinking and I was like if only they'd have just left it all on the field you know somebody is walking off that field or you know moping around the house the next day going 
I could have run left here. Or I could have run just a little bit faster. I could have thrown it a little bit harder. I could have passed instead of trying to hold it all myself. I could have done. But what would have happened if they'd have done it? And they'd have won. They'd have left it all on the field. There'd be no what ifs. And so many times in Christianity, we're like that. I mean, we see it all the time in sports. The Panthers are like that. The Panthers just about did that Sunday versus the Seahawks. You know, our motto was keep pounding. And we pound and pound and pound until we get a 31 to 0 lead. And then it's like, oh, I don't need to pound anymore. I got this game. Let me take a break. And then we just almost give away the win. And we do the same with Christianity. Think about when you first got saved. We will tell everybody about Jesus when we first get saved. I'm talking, we are pounding the streets. We are pounding the people. Let me tell you about this man I know. Let me tell you about what he did for me. Let me tell you about what he did for you. And then we go and, you know, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, you know, come around and, you know, whatever, life. And then suddenly we forget to keep pounding. But then we have to deal with those what ifs. It's time that we as Christians realize we have to leave it all on the field. And you will see all through the Bible, it's in here. So I've got a whole bunch of scriptures, and we're going to go through them fast. So bear with me. You ready? Here we go. God has game plays. Since we're talking about football, God's got game plays. He says in Ephesians 5.16, Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Would anybody disagree that these are evil days? You can open up the newspaper. You can turn on the TV. You can open up Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever social media you are on. And there is plenty of junk. Correct? We, the light are supposed to make the most of every opportunity. When there is a crack in the door, you bust it wide open. When there is an opportunity to be had, you seize it. He tells us in Colossians 4, 5, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. It's almost like a theme. James 4, 14. Then he tells you, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. And that's true. And you'll hear the world, you know, you'll hear people all the time go, well, you just never know what tomorrow holds. You might be here, you might not. And it's not that God is telling you you're going to live a short life. God said, you know, I came that you have life and life and abundantly. I came that you have a long and satisfying life. But did you ever think about it's not just dependent upon you? There are people that speak death over themselves all the time. All the time. My nana was one, and I love my nana. You say anything about my nana, and we're going to go at it. But my nana was like that. She was one of those that was, you know, you know she'd go to sit down and, oh. You know, and then she, you know, she, wanted, she wanted somebody to sympathize with her is what she wanted. And she wouldn't get it from me. So she just stopped. But, I mean, she'd be one that would talk negative. And unfortunately, she got what she spoke. She got diabetes that took her way too early. 
What happens if I had never talked to her about God? Now, thankfully, she knew Jesus. She grew up knowing him, and I praise God for that. But what if she didn't? And what if I hadn't been bold enough to talk to her about him? I'm still here, but she's not. Her life was like the fog. It was here one day, and the next day I got the call. She's in the hospital. She's non-responsive, and we don't know what's going on. This is what he's talking about. And then he goes to the post-game review. Romans 14:12 tells us, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Not, well, I saw this happen, and I was around when Billy Graham was around, and boy, you should have seen all the people that got saved during that time. I grew up in that time, and man, that was a good time. That's great. I'm so glad. Billy Graham did great. What did you do? He tells us again, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to answer for ourselves. We're going to have to say, did you make the most of every opportunity? What did you do with this life I gave you? But here's the thing. Too many times I'll get all sorts of people say, I'm just, I'm just not gifted with those things. You know, I, just, I don't have the skills you have. I don't have the gifts you have. And to all that, I say hogwash. Because a true player is going to have skills. A tree of God is going to have fruit of God. And here's why I can tell you that with confidence. It's because Mark 16, verses 17 and 18 tells us, these miraculous signs will. Y'all see that will? Does it say maybe? Does it say might? Does it say on sometimes on the days you feel like it when it's sunshiny and not cold as I'll get out? I think it says will. These miraculous signs, not shady signs, not, you know, eh, it could or couldn't be signs, miraculous signs, will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. Then you go to verse 18, and it says they will be able to handle snakes with safety. I'm sorry, the only handling of a snake I'm doing is at the end of a gun. And if they drink anything poisonous, it will not hurt them. They will be able to take their hands, to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. This is you and you and you and you and you and you and all of you. This is all of us. As believers, this is what we are to be doing. This is not your pastor. This is not an evangelist, a missionary, a teacher. None of that. This is every last one of us. As a child of God, you are given these gifts. The moment you choose to become a child of God, the moment you place yourself into his family, he says, welcome. Look at all these gifts I've laid out for you. Every last one of them. Then he tells us in Hebrews 13, 21. says, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Y'all, this is why he equips you. It's not you. We can't ever get prideful and say, oh, look what I did. It says through the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus came for you. He came to empower you. He was stripped of all power so that you could have it for God's glory. So that he gets the glory. But what does he get the glory? He gets the glory when we leave it all on the field. 
He gets the glory when we lay hands on the sick and they recover. He gets the glory when, you know, something comes near us, bad things come near us, and it doesn't touch us. You know, there's a scripture that says, though, though what is it, a thousand may fall, none may touch you. This is where he gets the glory. When you live a life full of these miraculous signs, a life that makes Facebook light up, not with look what the world is doing, but my goodness, look what these Christians are doing. Why isn't Facebook doing that? Why isn't the newspaper doing that? Our local paper puts in the stupidest stories sometimes. And I used to get frustrated with the paper. And then I started getting frustrated with us. Why aren't we doing Mark 16, 17, and 18? Because I guarantee you if we were doing that, we'd be on the front page because they ain't seen nothing like that around these parts. Now, Boomerang has healings. We've had a lot of healings, actually. But what happens when y'all walk out the doors? Are each and every one of us seizing the opportunity or are we just walking in expecting the power to fall on these four walls? We have to seize the opportunity. We have to leave it all on the field. We have to go to bed each night knowing that should the people we passed pass away, that we gave it our all, that we told them everything that they needed to know, that we gave them every opportunity to receive Christ in their life, that we took every believer we know and we told them about Mark 16 and said, this is you, this is who you are. You're not to live a life of mediocrity. You live a supernatural life. We don't need Batman and Spider-Man and Superman because we have the man. We have Jesus living within us. He's not just in a throne on high, you know, never to be reached until we croak. He is residing within us. His power is within us. Each and every day, when you open your eyes, boom, the power of God is there. When you lay your head down, boom, the power of God is there. It's there when you sleep. I can't tell you how many messages I've had in my sleep. I get up in the middle of the night and I'm like, ooh, I better write this down. Because that's the power of God working within you while you rest. He likes to do that. You know why? Because we shut up when we sleep. Sometimes I talk in my sleep. But for the most part, we hush in our sleep. This is who we are. If we leave it all on the field, we can rest at night knowing that each and every night, Diddy goes, job well done. Sleep good, baby. But as it is, so many of us go to bed at night going, oh, Lord, I just pray that, you know, don't let her die. You know, I hope he gets well. I hope he gets healed. Hope smoke, unless you're hoping on the hope of Christ, that joyful, confident expectation Stop wishing and a-hoping. Start knowing. Know who you are. Leave it all on the field every day of your life because you are the one sent here to make a difference. And we're designed to be a team. How many Christians do you see working in a silo? A lot of us. Working with women, I hear it all the time. I just don't like women. 
I'm sorry, I can't work with them. Women are just back biting. Oh, you just don't know. I do know. I know a lot of women are hurting. A lot of women are needing love. I know a lot of those men that says it's my way or the highway and take it or leave it and beep and it's a whole bunch of beeps. They're hurting. They need somebody to be a man of God and show them that you can be a man of God and be powerful. But what they see are weak boned, spineless men that say, oh, praise Jesus, and then can't control their own home. Spineless men that can't stand up for what's right. Well, I'm just a, I'm just a man of God, just a lowly man of God. I'll do what he wants me to. He wants you to grow a backbone and stand up for him. He wants you to stand on top of the tables and shout his name if that's what it needs. But he also wants you to show men that they can be men of God that can love and not be thought weird. And the very same man of God can put you in his place if need be. They want women to show women what it's like to be a woman of God, filled with love. A woman that can go to you and tell you, pour her heart out to, and know that you won't turn around and call Susie Q and say, oh my gosh, let me tell you what Betty Lou said. This is who we're called to be. We're called to be a body, the body of Christ, the body of the church. We are called to work together. We cannot do it alone. He tells us in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. You need each other. Look to the person to your right, look to the person to your left, in front and in back. You need every one of them. Because we are all given gifts. Every one of us are given gifts. I do not have the gift of any kind of talent artistically or designly. However, Lord has surrounded me by people that have all kinds of craft sense and decorating sense and, you know, dressing sense. We started doing the radio show and uh, the connection show that we've been talking about. And I started laughing because not this month, December when we were doing the show, in between recordings, Barrett would come over here and she'd be fixing my hair. And Debbie, like, she needs some more lipstick over there. She's looking a little dull. And so I'm just sitting there, and they're, like, primping me. And I'm like, just call me Preacher, preacher Girl Barbie. But you know what? And, I mean, it's, it was funny. But I need them. I need someone to say, girl, if you don't put some lipstick on, you're going to look like death warmed over. And somebody else to say, oh, honey, let me fix that hair. You're going to look like alfalfa standing up. And although that may seem small, what happens when somebody turns on the radio show and go, oof, mm-mm, next? You know, we need every last one of each other because although Priscilla and I may have the same gift, she can reach different people than I can reach because she's got a call, a plan, and a purpose to her life. And I have one as well. But what happens if she gives her all? She leaves it all on the field. But, you know, I go "Mm," so far, and I'm like, oh, chugging away. I got this. I got this. 
I'll catch up with you in a minute. And I just weasel out. She's carrying all that weight, but I've not left mine on the field. I'm taking half my bag home with me because I've not prepared to leave it all out there. And the problem with that is it's not just me that suffers. It's every person that I was called to reach that day. It may be who she was called to reach, and I needed to come alongside her and help her. But because I wasn't in my word or because I wasn't in prayer and I didn't know what I was talking about, I couldn't leave it all on the field because I didn't know half of what I had. But I selfishly thought of just me instead of every person that I was meant to touch that day. We're not leaving it all on the field just for ourselves so we go home five pounds lighter. We leave it all on the field because our teammates need it. Because the people that don't even know they're a part of our team need to know that. Think about a snowflake. Not very hard to think of today, huh? What happens when one snowflake falls? Doesn't do very much. Melts on the figure and you're like, and it's done. Now what happens when a whole bunch of those little wet, fragile snowflakes fall all together? And they just keep all coming. And they say, you know what? We're going to leave it all on the field. And they do. And it stops traffic. And it stops power. And it stops schools. And it sends everyone to Walmart for bread and milk. <laughs> Soggy sandwiches. Milk sandwiches. All because of one little fragile snowflake that decided to join with another. Who decided to join with another and another. And suddenly, you, not here, have a foot of snow. That is not prophetic. No, Deb, no. <laughs> but do you see the power in the numbers? How much easier is it to cover the field when we are with our team? When we are walking with the body of Christ? We can stop traffic. We can stop Channel 9 from reporting about you know, young women, pre-med students getting shot by an ex-boyfriend. We can stop that because we can lead that young man to Christ. We can stop that because we can teach that young woman to hear from the Holy Spirit when he says, honey, don't go tonight. Stay at home. We have the power to do that. You and I. We can change the world when we leave it all on the field and stop sitting at home changing the channels, watching all the other teams do whatever, win or lose. And that's what we do. We turn on, you know, Jesse Duplantis, and, oh, he's so funny. Oh, that was a good point. Joyce Meyer, oh, preach it, girl. That's a good point. But what do we do with all these good points? We just store them all up. They're not meant to be stored. The things we know are not meant to be stored. The people around us, the world around us is destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And we have that knowledge. It's within us every day. We don't run out of it. We can leave it all on the field today, go home, go to bed, and tomorrow we've got it all over again so we can leave it all on the field tomorrow. And I don't care how many times you have read John 3.16, when you read it for that 85,000th time, you're going to get something new out of it. 
I do that. I did that with the connection show. Brian and I, we, we recorded the show. I said the things. I watched the show. Then we came back and we watched it again. And I'm like, did I say that? The words came right out of my own mouth. But the Holy Spirit will point out in you whatever you need for that day. We just have to trust him. But when he points it out, leave it on the field. But we have to realize while our enemy is defeated, we have to keep pounding. Carolina said, ooh, Seattle is defeated. We got this. Mm. Yeah. Game over. And they went to halftime, and they left the game in the, in the locker room. And they knew Seattle. They watched the films. They watched how they played. They knew what they were going to do. You know, okay, if we do this, the Seahawks will do that. And they did very well in the first half. They knew their enemy. But they grew weary in well-doing. And they just about lost it. We do the same thing. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What does this mean for you? It means... It's not going to make sense to you all the time. You're not fighting against flesh and blood. If Priscilla ticks me off today, it, she's not taking me off. It's a spiritual battle. She may be dealing with something in the spirit that she don't even realize she's dealing with. So what do I need to do? I need to immediately forgive her, and I need to lift her up in prayer. We need to realize this young man that shot and killed his ex-girlfriend, it's a spiritual battle. There is evil within him that he may not even realize. So many times we hear stories of people that do bad things, and it's like they come to, and it's like, I don't even remember doing that. I know a story now of a young man that did that. Did something that I cannot wrap my mind around. And the next day he did not remember doing it. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle. Because our enemy is not flesh and blood standing in front of us. It's not Joe Bob standing there cussing you out. It's a spiritual battle. And when we know the ways of the enemy, when we realize that he operates in deceit and in lies, distortions, we know how to fight him. We pick up the word of God and we say, Okay, you say this, but the Word of God says that. Um, I'm going with the Word. Although you tear me down with your words, I know who I am in Christ. So I'm going to take that, and then I'm going to pray for you to know who you are. But we can't just stop with knowing who the enemy is. We can't just stop with knowing the way he attacks. Oh, well, I know, I know Satan attacks and lies. I don't believe that world. And we'll be the first one to bust up in Enterprise trying to rent our car and cussing people out. Barrett was telling me about a story today, so it's on my mind. And cussing people out. But we know the way the, world, or the, way the enemy works. Well, that's great. You can know the way the enemy works all day long. But are you using the gifts that God's given you to defeat the enemy? Because while he is a defeated foe, 
And in the end, his, the war is, he's lost. But he will try to take those battles. He will try to take your mama and your brother and your ditty all the way to hell with him. And we will help him when we don't leave it all on the field. When we don't live a life that preaches. We just got done singing for the sake of the world. Burn like a fire in me. We've got to realize we're not burning just for ourselves. You think about what fire is. It's a tool. It lights up the darkness. It cooks food. It guides us. It's also a weapon. They used fire a lot in the past. Burn down you know, the enemy's village or whatever. This is who we are. We are a tool for God and a weapon against the enemy. And we need to burn. We need to leave it all on the field. Too often, we live to die. I mean, you think about it. How many people, it's going to be so wonderful when we get to heaven. I just can't wait to get there. I'm going to see great Aunt Betty Jean. And Lord Jesus is just going to take away all this arthritis. Mm, I won't have to worry about a thing. It's going to be so great. We're living to die. That's why we get up. We get to the, you know what we want to be the end of our days. And we're like, Lord, just hate me. Because we're living to die. How about we stop and we die to live? And here's the thing. People hear that and they're like, mm, I'm not dying. Jesus done died for me. He sure did. But we still have to put down the flesh. When we die to flesh, we, we become the real us who we're really meant to be kind of like I love butterflies one of my favorite things but they have to you know I mean they're fuzzy little worms is what they are you know you know just bound to the ground they can't do much except maybe climb up a tree and eat a leaf some people really like them because they're so cute and fuzzy and some people like oh it's a worm but then they come in that cocoon well what happens if they just stay in the cocoon they're going to die, all right, and never become anything. But when they allow that cocoon to fall off, when they allow that identity of a caterpillar to fall off, they become something beautiful that can soar. How many people have you heard that say, I don't like to see a butterfly? It's a sign of beauty, it's a sign of freedom, it's gorgeous. I never see people that see a butterfly and don't smile. But what happens if they limit themselves to the ground because that's how they started? Well, I was, sorry about the quote maybe, I was born a pole black man. Well, I was born a pole white red-headed girl to the attitude Pruitts. Now, I remember my brother when we got married, when Brian and I got married, Derek said, Nicole is not going to be a submissive wife. Brian does not know her. She is a Pruitt. She's got an attitude, and she is just not going to take any man telling her what to do. And Nicole Pruitt wouldn't have. But see, there was this crazy thing back December 29, 1996. Nicole Pruitt met Jesus. And Nicole Pruitt found out, I'm not really Nicole Pruitt. I'm a child of God. 
I am so much more than that name I signed on my paper. I am so much more than what everyone said I was. While I was the quiet, shy kid bound to the ground, that's not me. And I allowed God to wrap me in that cocoon and work on me. And then I got outside my comfort space. I got outside that cocoon and I started soaring. And there are some days I do great and there are some days I, I don't. But here's the thing. I allowed God to show me who I was created to be instead of allowing the world to tell me who I was born as. I don't care who you're born as. Until you're born into the child of God, into the kingdom of God, you are not who you really are. So, yeah, we have to die to self. We have to die to who we think we are. We have to die to who the world tells us we are. We have to die to what we see in the mirror. We have to die to all of our past stupid mistakes. We have to die to all the deceptions in here that says you're not good enough. You don't know. You're not a preacher. You're not crafty. You're not smart. You don't have much money. You're nothing. You're not as good as Daniel. What do you do? He saves lives. You work at a desk all day, typing on a computer. You die to all the stupidity, and you begin to live. You begin to come who you really are. And when you become who you really are, you step into all the gifts that God has given you to all the powers that are living within you through Christ Jesus. This is who you are. So stop living to die. Stop living for the one day in the sweet by and by. Die to yourself so you can live in Christ. Because if you're not doing Mark 16, you're not living. If you're not walking through Walmart, finding people, and God says, I want you to go talk to them and pray for them, you're not living. Now, that doesn't mean bombard everybody. Oh, you got a boo-boo. Let me pray for it. Honey, be healed. But living is hearing. Living is being led. Living is waking up each morning and going, Lord, although this body may not feel like it, I'm going to hit the ground and Satan's going to wish that I was still sleeping. And although today is a cold day and Nicole don't like the cold, Nicole wants to wrap up in bed, I'm going to get up like it's a summer day and I'm on the beach and I'm wearing my flip-flops and I'm going to hear from you and I'm going to go bubbling down that street doing whatever you ask me to do. That's living. It's saying, here I am. Whatever you need, pick me. And that's not who I used to be. I'd mm, be going back to the wall. Pick her. Because I was bound to all the stupid lies that said, you can't do this. Just let Brian do it. Brian's the one God chose. Then he had to go throw in that whole, you know, you're one. If I call him, I call you. And finally I got a hold of it. And now it's like, you know what, Lord? There are some days I don't feel like it. But I'm not going to lie here in a day of death. 
I'm going to choose to live today. So, Lord, whatever you need, let me be the vessel that you use. Pick me. Let me be the light for you. That's living. And you know what? Every time I've done that, I may have started dragging, going, Lord, pick me. No, really, I mean it. I mean it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pick, 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 pick me. And the days that he has picked me, and I have been wise enough to listen, and I've stepped out in faith and not on what I felt, I have walked away going, whoa, that was good. Let's do that again. I'm telling you, the days I get up here when I don't feel like preaching, I walk out feeling higher than a kite. I'm telling you that, y'all, the world ain't got nothing on God. I know. (laughs) God is good. Y'all should get a whiff of this. But you know what? We can't reap what we haven't sown. We hear that and we're like, yeah, yeah, Nicole, I know you done told us every Sunday, every Wednesday, we got to sow our money and we're going to reap some money. But here's the thing. It means life too. It says, he who sows much reaps much. But this is all throughout your life. It's in joy. It's in hope. It's in love. It's in life. And we are not going to reap a life until we sow a life. And we do that by leaving it all on the field. By going through the store and, you know, or work or walking down the street or picking up the phone and calling your daddy. And when God says, say this, you say this. And it sows the life of God into someone who didn't know that they weren't living. That's when you reap life. It's when you help sow it. I love this example. Abigail, if you'll get that video ready for me. We're going to close with this. And I want you to watch this video. Y'all ever heard, I know most of you heard of Penn and Teller. Penn, and I may mess up his last name, but it's Penn Gillette or Gillette or whatever. Is the guy from Penn and Teller. They do like a magic show in Las Vegas or something or another. He is a known atheist. I want you to listen to this video. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks, and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. After I was all done, big guy, probably about my age, big guy, and. Um, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the uh, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night, and he walked over to me and he said. Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, 
complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. All right, so obviously you've got, some, you've got somebody here who doesn't understand the truth. He's obviously way off in not believing there's a God. However, you've got someone that spiritually is that far off and still understands the importance of preaching the gospel. 
I mean, he said it himself. If I see you on the road and there's a truck coming straight at you, even if you don't believe it, at some point I'm going to tackle you. I'm going to save you. Now, that doesn't mean that we need, as Christians, need to go around the world tackling everybody. Be saved, you know. We don't need to do that. But this other guy sowed a seed. He gave him a Gideon's Bible with five phone numbers and an email to get in touch with him. He used his gifts. He left it all on the field for his assignment for Mr. Penn. Now, what happens when Rachel has an assignment? To go to him, same man, she could easily say, well, he's already got the Gideon Bible. He's got it in his hands. And she could keep walking. Or she could take her assignment and she could leave it all on the field and she could water that seed that that man sowed. And what happens when the seed of the word and that businessman's love combined with someone else watering that seed? combined with maybe Sharon coming along and harvesting that seed, leads this man who was world-renowned, lots of people know him, lots of people know that he is an atheist, and suddenly he's standing up on stage saying, let me tell you about the man that I'm in love with. Let me tell you about the man who saw me in all my stupidity, who saw me get on YouTube and say there isn't a God, and yet he still died for me. This is leaving it all on the field. Leaving it all on the field isn't waiting until someone dies and at their funeral saying how wonderful they are. It's picking up the phone saying we may not always meet eye to eye or I may not get to see you very often, but I need to let you know you're wonderful. I need to let you know that Jesus loves you and so do I. That's leaving it all on the field. It's not waiting until it's too late and saying... I wish I would have scored that last touchdown. I wish I would have run a little harder. I wish I would have told them one more thing. I wish I would have smiled at that single mother walking past me down the street. Don't get to the end and say, I wish I would have. Get to the end out of breath, covered in sweat, with grinning from ear to ear because you left it all on the field. Because it doesn't matter what it looks like to you. It doesn't matter if it looks like you're winning and the opponent's a mile behind you. It doesn't matter if you're you're winning 31 to 0. You keep trucking. You keep giving it everything because there's that one more person that you pass that doesn't know that it's possible to have life in abundance, that doesn't know that misery isn't the life that they're supposed to live in. It's time that we love people enough, that we love God enough to leave it all on the field. And that was such a powerful statement that he said, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about the possibility of eternal life? Because we're walking around in hatred every day that we don't tell them. And all it takes is us being led and being willing We all have our assignments. We all have our gifts. But when God says go, you go with all your might, with everything you've got. You exhaust every gift within you, and you leave it all on the field, knowing at the end you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant.
Lord, we thank you today. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for all that we are in you. Father, we thank you for your word and your wisdom. Thank you for reminding us to leave it all on the field, to do it together, and to use the gifts that you have given us. God, what an honor that you can do it all and still you choose to use us. We get to be used by the King of King and the Lord of Lords. We get to take a part in your glory. We get to be ones that bring you glory. What an honor. Lord, we accept that honor. We accept that assignment. We thank you for the gifts. And Lord, right now we choose to die to self so that we can live in you, so that we can live through you and for you. And Lord, I thank you that from this moment forward, we will leave it all on the field. Thank you, Lord, that we hear from you, that we know your voice and we obey it. We follow it faithfully, knowing that you are leading us to triumphant, abundant, joyous, hopeful life each and every day. Not just at the end, but now in this time Thank you, Lord, that you are leading us there now each and every day. I thank you that we are people that when our feet hit the floor, Satan, sh- Satan shivers because of the power of you flows through us. The power of you sends him shaking. The power of you breaks bondages as we walk in a place. I thank you that as we walk through this area, as we're walking down the street, as we're walking into stores, into restaurants, into the bank, the power of you breaks off bondages in people. People are healed. They don't understand why. We don't even have to say your name. But because you are so strong within us, the power of you flowing through what sets people free. I thank you, Lord, that your love flows through us. That just by meeting someone in the eye, looking them in the eye, giving them a smile, they feel your warmth. They feel your love. They feel that there is one more reason to go on. That there is something to strive for. I thank you, Father, that you put people in our paths each and every day that we can minister to. And, Lord, give us the wisdom to see who those people are. Help us to see them with your eyes. Help us to see them with your love. And help us, Lord, to hear from you exactly what we need to do, exactly what we need to say to point them to you. And, Father, I thank you that we do leave it all on the field. I thank you that at the end of this day, at the end of tomorrow, and at the end of our road, each time we will hear, well done, baby. You did good. Thank you, Diddy. Thank you for being our Diddy. Thank you for wrapping us so strongly in your love that we are busting at the seams to share it with others. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night.